Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where relationships are the mission and we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Before we dive into today's sermon audio, we'd like to share an exciting opportunity with you. On March 21st, Quest is teaming up with Northeast Columbus's premier missions organization, Westerville Area Resource Ministry, or WARM, for the WARM Quest to End Poverty 5K Run and 1K Family Walk, facilitated by Premier Racing. You can register for the run, the walk, or simply just to donate by visiting gotoquest.org slash warm5k. That's G-O-T-O quest.org slash warm5k. Now, let's dive in to this week's message. One of my favorite things, and maybe I spend too much time there in my Bible reading, is, is, is spending time in the Gospels and the eyewitness accounts of Jesus. Because I love looking at not just his words, but his actions. Because they impact me so much. His love makes me just want to admire him and meditate on him. Because when I've had a bad week... When I've uh, done something, I've been in an argument, or I've sinned demonstrably in a way that I'm just feeling really bad about the week, and I hear uh, Wendy's favorite preacher, Graham Cook, say, God's the kindest person in the world. Or when I, when I read the Gospels and I see Jesus dealing with his screw-up disciples who I can't believe they're so stupid to act like they did, and then when I pause, I realize I've done exactly what they've done in so many times in my life. And I see how God is so patient and kind with them. It just changes me. Have you ever felt down in life and and spent the time just to go through the stories of Jesus and not only found yourself greatly encouraged, but maybe even experiencing the very kindness and presence of God coming to you, touching you in that moment when you were down? His patience, his, his, just His faithfulness. See, we talk a lot around here about Jesus as our friend. We use it in a dual context in our statement, friends with faith. We say we want, our, we want our relationship with God to be one of friendship, and we want to have friendships with others that are deep and meaningful and honest enough that we can deal with faith and disagree with things and still be friends and still be kind and honest with one another. And that's what we really strive after all the time. There's so much good and so much right in that. And yet, as I look at much of the church in America, and maybe some of your experience with church and the evangelical church in America, we, we oftentimes make that friend thing into something more of God as a God who just meets my needs and, and makes me feel good about life. And it turns our faith into this consumer faith where if God is meeting my needs, I'm okay and I go to church. If I don't feel like my needs are met or if I'm not enjoying it, then I don't go to church, right? And it just becomes this consumer-oriented relationship in our faith all too easily. But there's this whole other side of Jesus in the Gospels and the Bible in general that just comes crashing through as a central theme of who Jesus is and what his life is about. And unless we grasp that idea of Jesus as well and marry that idea with the idea that he is our friend and he's kind and he's constantly patient and faithful and generous, unless we put those two things together, I find myself struggling between these two polar opposites constantly going back and forth and unsettled and never really living this consistent, peaceful, contented, kind of powerful, joyful Jesus life. The central teaching of Jesus' life is this and the way he lived his daily life. It's just simply that Jesus is also king. 
And he talks about this, about the breaking in of his kingdom right here and right now into every day of our lives. And he teaches us that when the disciples ask him how to pray, he teaches them saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? And where is, where is that will to be done? Is it just to save us for eternity? Is it just to be this nebulous thing in the future? He says, no, it's supposed to start right now here. He says, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, in earth right now, just as it is in heaven. Now, here, in your life, in my life, in your workplace, in your family circumstance, in our government, in everything that we are a part of, what would it look like if God were here running your business, running your home life, running our schools, running the state and federal governments? See, Jesus' central message is always asking this question, what would life on earth look like if God were in charge of things, right? And Jesus spent time storytelling about that. Every single one of his stories is about that theme in some way or some fashion. And he spent time demonstrating for us what that would look like if, he, if we were living that by the way he lived. He spent three years saying, here's God, and he wants to run things for us. It's time for him to run the show. Now, I realize that in our, especially in today's world with all the abuse of theocracy going on by ISIS and Iran and all that kind of stuff going on, that we're really scared of that idea of a theocracy, of God running the government and all that kind of stuff, right? We're really scared of that. But, but the reality is Jesus didn't represent to us a God who was going to oppress or force people into submission to him. In fact, what we celebrate through this whole season is the fact that Jesus came to establish his kingdom. How? He came to establish his kingdom by dying for us, by taking our just penalty and doing justice, by paying the penalty for us so that we could be offered this free, now sinless, forgiven response to life, no longer having to live life out of a sense of having to justify our own worth and justify ourselves to ourselves or other people. Jesus went around doing good works. He went around healing people. He went around reaching across relational divides that normally kept people apart and showing he could establish relationship and kindness and generosity across those divides. Jesus went around doing good works and he was constantly saying, the kingdom is here, the kingdom is near, the kingdom of God is breaking in among us. It is the very life force of who Jesus is. It's the Jesus life. And the question of our series is, Will we learn to live in that kind of Jesus life on a regular basis? I think that's actually the question of our Christian journey in general, of us constantly learning to live in that kind of life on a more consistent, a more and more consistent basis. Will we learn to receive that kind of life? Will we learn to live it as Jesus lived it so that more of God's kingdom will will break into our earth and our experience right now as, as it is done in heaven? Today, the passage we're going to look at captures this interaction between Jesus and his disciples on the evening right before he, uh, uh, on the evening of his betrayal it's right after the passover meal the disciples are about ready to leave the upper room and go out into the dark streets of the night to walk to the mount of olives where Jesus will momentarily be arrested and the abuse leading to the crucifixion will begin and we see in this passage the marrying of the Jesus who is a personal friend and the Jesus who is a king who demands obedience and loyalty 
It's a long scripture. It's the one of the longest ones we've read on a Sunday morning. So I'm going to ask you to get your focus on and let God speak to you through it. And hopefully I won't lose my way like I did in the first service to have to figure out where I am in it. So here we go. John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. But Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. For from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On the day, on that day, you will realize that I am in the, in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But the Lord, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. On all this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Long scripture passage, and we could spend a lot of time there, but what I want to spend our time today is I want to spend examining this tension that I think all of us 
experience. If you don't experience it, and if I'm the only one, then I'm weird, and we can all go home, and we can just call it a day right now. But I think we all experience this tension. It's this, it's this tension between the grace-filled friend Jesus who just always accepts us, always loves us, always forgives us, and this Jesus who is king of kings and demands obedience in no uncertain terms. I mean, look at it. He says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Now, if you're like me, the love of God has just profoundly impacted my life. The fact that he is so patient, so pursuing and so forgiving. And even when I've been unfaithful, or less than faithful, he's always been there and been faithful. And this text talks, uh, Jesus talks to his disciples on the last evening before the cross, and he's basically saying to them in, this con- in the context of this that they're all going to be unfaithful. They're all going to run. And yet he does it with such assurance of his faithfulness to them that he will continue to come to them, and that even though they're going to run and fall away, it's going to be all okay. He gives them all this assurance. And when you're sitting at home after a really tough day, and you're just tired, you're frustrated, you're angry, things have not gone well, and you just all you want to do is eat your favorite food and veg out on the sofa and get some screen time and forget life. And maybe in those moments you realize you're going to eat and you're going to do some things and watch some things that probably aren't even good for you and you feel don't feel good about that. And maybe if you're really self-aware in those times, you're probably going, I don't even want God to be near me right now. I want to have him at a distance in that moment right now. Even in those times, God is faithful and he loves you and he's pursuing you and coming to you. And I don't know about you, but I need that kind of love, don't you? I love the fact, I'm so grateful that that is who God is to us, aren't you? And see, the more we experience him coming to us in those moments and realize that and we grow in that, the less often we turn away and the less length of time we turn away from him. We allow him to come into our life more quickly and we love better and we live better and we just live healthier. But throughout much of my life, when I've heard these demands for obedience, it brings up all sorts of baggage. Does it for you? When somebody preaches a message on obedience, does it bring up all sorts of baggage? These, the feelings of legalistic religion that you maybe grew up in, having to clean up and be good enough to even be accepted to come to church. Or maybe, maybe it brings up the ideas of you uh, growing up uh, having to pray certain prayers in order to feel like you were absolved from your guilt and do it a certain number of times. And it just brings up all sorts of feelings. Do you ever, have, do you ever find it hard to hear a message on obedience without walking away feeling overly guilty and ashamed, right? Isn't that hard? My hope today is that we can reconcile the friend, the idea of Jesus as friend and the idea of Jesus as king, the one who asks us in no uncertain terms for obedience in a way that removes that guilt, in a way that frees us to think healthier and more realistic about our relationship with one another, about our relationship with God, and about what it takes to grow and become more like Jesus and realize what we hope for out of faith in the first place. Now, this has been a really long scripture for today, and I I hope you got your focus on and listened really well because normally I don't read that long, but I really wanted to read the whole text today because I want to tie together some really big-picture themes from it. So let me start here. How does Jesus start this passage off? Look at it. 
if you look at the passage again, he starts it off by asking for obedience in no uncertain terms, but he starts it actually by talking about how sure their disciples' future is. What, did he, what does he say? He doesn't say it in some abstract way. He says, don't be troubled or fearful. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In this place that we often refer to as heaven in our minds, we would think of that. I'm going to this place to prepare a place for you. And if I go there, I'm sure to come back and take you there with me. See, his demand for obedience is set in the context of a relationship that is absolutely secure. 100% secure. You can do nothing to earn God's love. You are already given his love. He has already forgiven you. That is all surely yours. Whether you've received it or not, it is yours. And that is a huge difference when we face this idea of obedience, isn't it? It's like the difference between living life with anxiety and stress because I have to get an A on this test in order to get into college or get the scholarship or I want, or I have to make, make this quota at work, otherwise I'm going to lose my job, or I have to get this better quota at work in order to even have a hope of ever getting a raise or getting a promotion. And it's, it's the difference between living with that kind of stress and living from a place of being so absolutely accepted and having so much peace that we get to respond to life with gratefulness and somebody does something good for us and we don't even have to feel that feeling of a need to have a payback in that relationship we just get to be free to love and to excel because we are secure and we get to do it out of gratefulness and as simple as that idea sounds and as simple as it is in concept it's a really hard thing for all of us isn't it to learn to live from that place all the time to be free of anxiety and stress and to be able to live from that place of freedom and peace and joy and gratefulness. It's like the difference between going through life and and imagine you are a glass in this land that is just dry and famished and just parched and, and, and trying to run around capturing every little bit of, of, of water you can even though your glass is mostly empty and knowing that obedience is pouring all that out on the ground and hoping for something alive to grow and green to grow as opposed to living life as a glass that is constantly full and constantly overflowing and knowing that our desire in life for obedience is to constantly be pouring that out, never having any doubt to borrow from Jesus' word, of Jesus' own words that, the, that, that we live as, as though rivers of living water are flowing out of our belly. There's this constant supply, abundant supply. And there's a, there's a big difference in living life between those two pictures, thinking you're constantly empty and obedience is pouring out and thinking you're constantly full, isn't it? And see, we often talk around here about God making us the most generous people on the planet. And we talk about it because I think that's what God wants. And I think that's what all of us want, right? We all want to be the most generous people on the planet with our kindness, with our, with our, with our strength, with our giving, with our forgiveness, with our relationship. And we want to be, all of us want to be generous with our money too. There's no doubt that that's a desire for every single one of us in this room. And I hope that one day as we continue to grow in that, we can actually measure in our zip codes right around our church that actual statistical difference. I hope that sometime in the zip codes immediately surrounding our church, we can see in the census reports that we have the highest percentage of giving to charitable works of any zip code in the United States. To me, that would be success. I think, I hope that we can see in the zip codes immediately surrounding us the lowest rates of suicide and divorce because we 
are so intentionally generous about giving of our kindness to everyone around us that no one ever gets to that point of feeling the need to do one of those two actions. I hope that someday that we can break generational poverty and see it the lowest in our zip codes because we're so intentionally generous with our patients that we'll walk with people for a long time until they can, dr- they can break and see life differently as opposed to the generational things that keep them in poverty that they just don't know any better with. And I hope that sometime that we can be so generous with our reputation that we, won't, that we won't have to have everything to always be our own, that we can send out a whole bunch of people to start new churches, and that I hope that all of us in our businesses, we can see people that we raised up, and we don't have to feel a need to hold on to them. In fact, we're willing to send them out to start new businesses because we are so generous with our reputation. So we pray about those things. And we ask God to do that kind of stuff through us. And we look and we wait for God to show up and do that. And He's beginning to do that more and more all the time through us. But too often we express our faith by waiting to, for God to show up. We, we pray, which is great. And we just say, when you show up, God. But God is basically saying to us through this text, I want you to obey now. I want you to trust my promise that I have already shown up, that the kingdom is here now, and I promise to provide for you now, and my promise to provide for you in the future is secure. You see, faith is more than ideas. It's more than just morals. It's more than just waiting for God to show up. Faith is actively engaging life, trusting that the kingdom of God is already here in our midst and breaking in. And even though we may not quite see it all yet, we still act on the assurance that the kingdom of God is here with our obedience to the king being a reflection of our trust in the power and the presence of God and his kingdom provide for us. Now, We could illustrate this in a lot of ways, but because it's the most tangible to all of us, I'm going to spend some time illustrating this by using talking about money. Uh, We say, isn't it true? I've said this in my life. I'm sure you probably have. We we may say in relation to our money, we will be more generous than we currently are and give more to God when God gives us X more, when we make this amount of money or when we have our car paid off or our house paid off or we have have this list of things, don't we, a lot of times when, when when we wrestle with this idea of generosity in our own life of when I get this, when I have this much more, then I will be generous, right? But Jesus is inviting us to a step of obedience that stretches us right now and it's stretching his disciples even as he's talking about this to trusting the security of his promise and, and the idea that he is going to have abundance for us. I mean, Jesus himself says it, right? Jesus says, given it shall be what? Given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Now, this metaphor that Jesus is using is talking about monetary concepts, and it certainly applies to finances, but it applies to every area of our lives. It, pro- it applies in any area. That Will we trust that God's provision, whether it's financial or emotional or family or relational, will we trust that His provision is full, that's, that it's pressed down, that it's not skimpy? Will we trust that it's all-encompassing in our lives, that there are no gaps left out where His abundance and His provision is not going to cover? And this is what the Scripture says. It's all shaken together. There's no gaps. And will we trust that it's not just barely enough, but it's running over? Why? Because God wants us to love and be generous just like He's loving and generous. Right? 
the metaphor when God's saying, give and it shall be given, is just another way of saying what Jesus says in our text today. Those who love me obey my commands. Why? Because they trust, as Jesus started the passage off, because we trust that Jesus is preparing our way in heaven and now on earth. And I give because I know Jesus has already given and he assures me he is working on my present, in my present and my future in a pressed down, shaken together, running over way. So when we jump back into the main text we were talking about today where Jesus talks to his disciples about him going away to heaven to prepare a place and surely coming back to them, he's not just talking about heaven. He's talking about the next 72 hours in his disciples' life as all hell breaks loose and they scatter in fear and Jesus is taken to the cross. It's like Jesus is saying, if I were to put it in, in different words, Jesus is saying, you know me and you know my love. So think about it. You know that my promise is sure, that you can count on my promise. And even though you're going to go through this overwhelming time of difficulty that you're about to face when you have little faith, such little faith that you're going to run from me and you're going to run in fear and, and over the next couple of days your world is going to be turned upside down and you're going to feel like you have no strength and no faith. Yet even now, I'm calling you to obey and be generous even when you have little faith and little courage. Jesus says it elsewhere. He says, whoever is faithful in very little can also be faithful in very much. Now, this is not one of those prosperity messages that says, if you give, you're guaranteed to be rich. What this is, is a message that says what you're guaranteed, what you're guaranteed is life is an abundance to accomplish the very, very good purpose that God created you and put you on this earth for. He will provide running over abundance for you to accomplish all the dream that he has built you to accomplish in this life. And that abundance may be viewed as wealthy. I mean, my gosh, look at us in comparison to the world. Every single person in this room is wealthy by world standards. Or it may be like Paul in Philippians. Let me just paraphrase where he says, I have learned to be content in little and in much. And when things are going well and when things are not going well, when things are peaceful and when things are scary in conflict, I have learned to be content because I know there is a wealth of freedom and a wealth of joy, a wealth of peace and abundance for me regardless of the circumstances. See, the reality is when you look at any study worldwide, the wealthier people get, not everybody, but there's a lot of people when they get wealthier and say, well, I'll be more generous when I get to this level. The studies actually show that the wealthier you get, the smaller percentage of income people normally get. The gift size may be larger than other people, but the smaller the percentage of income, they're actually typically less generous. And God is challenging us to go beyond that. He's calling us to, to not just be faith, uh, faithful in little now, but to, but to be faithful in much later. And the problem is a lot of people have wealth today, but they haven't learned to be faithful to God in it. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do, to trust his secure promise in our lives as our friend and as our king and demonstrate that trust in our obedient action. Do you trust him in your finances? If so... You will give generously now in life and not wait for the future. And the reality is, Quest, we're doing really good and growing in this. 
And I'm so happy to be a part of this congregation for that. Our giving consistently outpaces growth, uh, grows faster than our attendance. And God is stretching us and teaching us to be a generous people. And I'm so excited about that. And God is teaching us to be generous in our time. We are above average uh, when it comes to other churches and the number of people volunteering both in our church and in the community and giving of our time to make a difference for God. And that is tremendous. We can all grow in that, but God is growing us already. And it's wonderful progress to being living this dream of being the most generous people on earth. And we're generous with our kindness toward one another. We don't all agree on stuff, but we've learned to be generous even in our disagreement with our kindness, to stay in relationship and to trust one another. And I have to say, this is the most conflict-free three years of church life I've ever had in my whole history. And it's a whole lot of fun, isn't it? To learn to live like Jesus in that. We are, God is, His winsome presence is among us and growing and doing some really amazing good things. And we have grown in all those things, but there's more we can grow. So let me ask you a question. Do you trust his ability to protect you in conflict? Can you respond with obedience to kindly and clearly engage in conflict, whether it's in your business or whether it's in your neighborhood or whether it's in your marriage or your family? Can you kindly and clearly engage in conflict rather than avoiding it? God's word applies here too. Faithful in little God will make you faithful in much. Now, that's just what everybody wants to hear, right? If I'm faithful in this little conflict, then I get to face big conflict because that's what we all want in life, right? Right? Isn't that? That's, that's, but, but do you want to bring only a little bit of generational healing to your family? Or do you want to bring a lot? Do you just want to bring a little? Or would you like to bring a lot? If you want to bring a lot... You have to learn to allow God to make you feel secure enough to overcome your fear of conflict so you'll never say, I fear or struggle with conflict again. And allow God to become that real to you. Do you want to bring great positive change in your workplace? Or do you just want to bring a little bit? If you want to bring great positive change in your workplace and in our community, then you will, then you'll be faithful in the relationships and in the business, and you'll be faithful to the business now, even when there's little conflict, even before you have the influence and authority or voice to even address the big conflicts. And God may one day allow you to be the voice that changes those big conflicts and brings peace and prosperity to our community in ways that are amazing and beautiful. And that comes through obedience now. Jesus goes a little further in talking about obedience, but he goes further in giving us two promises that we can count on when we choose to be faithful and obedient on a daily basis. And the first one is the idea that our obedience demonstrates our love. And when we demonstrate our love, not just talk about it, but when we demonstrate it through obedience, Jesus says his spirit, his presence breaks into our daily lives. He says it this way. He says, if you love me, Keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. What he's saying is the very power and credibility of God's kingdom, the presence of the Holy Spirit, will actively advocate on your behalf when you obey the king's commands. 
See, we often ask ourselves and say we'd love to, we'd love to know God's presence and how to hear His voice more, right? We'd love to understand that more. We understand that more when we learn to obey what we already know, right? So even if you're here and you're a seeker, even if you're unconvinced in your faith, you're not sure Jesus is who He says, you're, you're kind of here just going, well, maybe I should check out church and maybe this Jesus thing is right or not. Even for you, faith is not just ideas, although it, it is ideas. It's, it's, it's wisdom. It's understanding. It's knowledge. It's all those things. But, but faith is primarily about a living, living in and experiencing the Jesus life. And what Jesus is saying to you as a seeker through this is if you want to know my presence, you need to take the steps of responsive obedience. So even if you're unsure about Jesus, do the things you hear from Jesus that seem right and seem good that you think might possibly be him. Obey those things and allow yourself to experience God showing up in those things. That may mean praying more regularly. That may mean reading the Bible more regularly. It may mean serving I've used this illustration a few years ago. Sorry if you remember it and you're hearing it again, but it's a good one to ponder again. I used to know a guy and spend a lot of time with a guy named Jim. He, as a lead pastor, he had started six new churches. And one of his churches, uh, they were getting ready to just start their weekend services for the very first time. And he had two guys in his church come up to him. And they were both came up to him and said, you know, Jim... We know you, we like you, we have a good relationship with you, we like the good you're doing, but we don't really believe in God yet. We don't believe Jesus is really who he says. We're not really sure. We're kind of attractive. We're not saying no, but, but we're, we're not really sure. And, uh, but we know that Jesus at least commands generosity. So we'd like to give to your church. And we love kids, and we know that you don't have a children's ministry team yet. Could we lead the children's ministry for you? So, two unbelieving guys coming to Jim saying, we'd like to give, because Jesus says give, and we'd like to lead your children's ministry. What do you do with that? Well, most churches say yes to the money, right? I mean, who doesn't say yes to somebody giving? But two unbelievers leading your children's ministry? Jim looked at him and said, yes, you can lead the children's ministry as long as you teach exactly what I tell you to teach, and we get to talk every week and process what happened and talk about what we do next, and I get to be part of your life on a weekly basis. A year later, those two men were getting baptized with a bunch of the kids that they were leading in children's ministry also came to faith. Why? Because obedience to God, the King of kings, our Creator, when we respond to him with obedience, his presence becomes more and more active and more and more tangible, and we become more and more aware of him. And the more, see, if you're a seeker, the more, it's more than answers to your questions and all the theological and problem of evil questions. Those, those, those are important to understand, but that's not really the main point. The main point, the biggest decision you have to wrestle with is whether Jesus is who he says he is. If he's God, if he's the creator of the universe, it doesn't really matter if our questions are answered or not. If he's the creator of the universe, we know we've got to serve him, right? And we know he's bigger than our questions anyway. Our questions become less important. It comes from encountering God is where our faith comes from. And for all of us, if we want to learn to hear God's voice better, it's as simple as responding to what we know now with obedience.
and allowing him to show up and see what happens. The obedience of these two unconvinced men in Jim's church resulted in them getting into the middle of where the Holy Spirit was at work and encountering God himself. And Jesus gives us a final promise of obedience. And he says, it says it in verse 12. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, what Jesus is not saying here, he's not saying you can pray whatever, pray for whatever you want and use the magical formula at the end of the prayer of in Jesus' name and expect to get it. Right? That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is this. When you truly trust and submit yourself to the king, when you make his mission your primary mission in life and choose to act in obedience to that, then we as a church together, then we as individuals, those who make up quest, this local expression of the church, together we will do greater things than Jesus has done. What will that look like? Well, I suspect it's going to look like more miraculous healings. We've seen a few of those. Uh, I think we'll see a lot more. It's going to look like more baptisms, like we're celebrating today. It's going to look like more marriages and families finding healing. It's going to look like more people who are, who are suffering uh, with suicidal thoughts now all of a sudden feeling like life is meaningful. It's going to look like people getting out of debt and people getting promotions at their job. Why? Because we start to manage our money and work for Jesus, not for our own approval or for other people's approval. We start to work for Jesus. It's going to look like God speaking to us and showing us things as we hear his voice, things we couldn't know about some other some other person and, and him challenging us to go talk to them or pray with them. And as we talk to them and them, them thinking, wow, God knows my thoughts. He knows my heart. He's that close to me. He knows what I'm going through. He must love me. But the question is, will we be, by our obedience, people who express our trust in his good, abundant plan for us today, for tomorrow, for eternity? And will we respond to him both as friend and as king? See, the more we obey, the more we experience the security of God and the depth of our being. The more we experience the depth of that security, the more of an amazing impact we get to have in this life, in our community, in our county, in our families, in our state, in our nation, in our world. The sky is the limit. I mean, think about who Jesus is saying this to. He's saying it to a ragtag group of people who would be running for their fear, running in fear for their lives in a matter of minutes, for days, in just a few moments. They're going to run away, and they're, they're people who didn't have the advantages educationally or socially or, or economically like we have today, and yet their simple obedience would rock an empire within their generation. What's the limit for us, Quest, if we learn that kind of obedience? See, Jesus is calling us to a long, consistent obedience in the same direction. And that's what leads to a vibrant faith and a vibrant life. What could he do with you and I if we obey in this way and trust him and truly become the most generous people on earth? Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would do exactly that. 
Lord, you've placed within each one of us a desire consistent with your will to be generous. It's something that excites us. It's something we dream of. It's something we long for. Lord, would you teach us today to allow your kingdom to break into our world, that you would, through our obedience, show up in our conversations with people, through our obedience to pray when you ask us to pray, to show up and give us answers. Would you just interact with God on your own for a minute and just ask him, what are you saying to me? What's, what's my response to today's message, God? Just ask him that question. Let him speak to you for a moment. Is it trusting his goodness more or is it a, step, a specific step of obedience that you know you need to make? Lord, I just express what I believe is the heart of all of us, that you would show yourself strong to us and that we would respond to you with the obedience that you ask out of a joyful, free heart. Lord, we don't want to be people of guilt. We want to be people of grateful freedom. And we know that you promise that. We know that in our head, but we don't always live that. We don't always experience that in our feelings, in our thoughts. Lord, would you help us to be more consistent in responding to you, even when we don't feel like it, with obedience that leads us to experiencing your security so that you can trust us with little and you can trust us with much. Lord, that we can each change our family legacy much, that we can change our business legacy much, that we can change our government legacy much, that we can change our community much because we're faithful today with the little things you've asked us. Lord, thank you for your good promise. Thank you for your spirit being here with us. Thank you for empowering us. In Jesus' name. If you struggle with that tension, if you're like me and you find yourself going back and forth between this friend God and this demanding God, and you struggle to marry those, I want you to consider on the way out today grabbing a handout we have in the lobby at the main desk there. It's just uh, called Gospel and Religion. It's published by Tim Keller, and he's got a bunch of different ways of describing the differences that might be helpful to you, but the basic difference is this. In religion, we obey to earn God's love and to justify our own existence. In Gospel, we obey because we are already justified in our existence. We are completely loved and completely secure, and we obey out of gratefulness because of that security. Today we get to celebrate people taking the step of obedience. So if you're getting baptized, come on, start coming up right now. We get to celebrate the people, uh, people taking a step of obedience in baptism. Jesus himself led the way for us in baptism. He always leads the way for us. He doesn't ask us to do something he hasn't done. That's part of what this text is about, too. And he commands us to be baptized. And baptism is just this beautiful, rich, rich symbolism. It's the symbolism of the fact that we're unable to clean ourselves. We're unable to deal with our own sin and our own power. And we need somebody to do that. We need Jesus to do that for us. And we're unable to lead our own life. And we need the King of Kings to lead our life. 
so that we can be led, our lives can be led well. And we recognize that the only way to do either one of those is to die to our own selfish will and our own rights. And that's what going under the water in baptism symbolizes. We go under the water to die to our own rights, to, to trust and surrender to his leadership and his cleansing of our lives. And we come back out of the water new, born again, new creations. And the Holy Spirit comes and rests upon us and fills us and gives us power and a commission. Our whole life is now about making a difference for the king, that his mission is now my mission. And though a number of the people, three of the people got baptized in the first, and we're going to baptize three here, a number of the people that uh, have been, are getting baptized have been following Jesus for a long time and making decisions to follow him for a long time. But we choose to celebrate baptism because we want to allow people the space to make a well-reasoned, well-tested decision before they go public and say publicly, I am declaring I'm all in. But today, we get to celebrate with these people, no matter how long they've been on this journey, of getting to the point of saying, I am all in, and I want all God wants for me. I want his mission to be a part of my, to be my entire mission for my life. So would you join us today as we celebrate these baptisms? And we're going to pray a little bit differently today for those who are getting baptized. Normally, we baptize them and we take them into a back room and we have some family and friends and prayer people back there to pray for them. We're going to baptize them and then bring them down out front here after the last song and invite everybody here to come and join in praying for them. So let's just continue to worship and enjoy celebrating this momentous time in these people's lives and God's work among us. Thank you, Lord, that you do save. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you go with each one of us now. And you bless us, you prepare a way for us, you have abundance for everything we need to accomplish the very good life you've planned for us. Lord, we receive that in Jesus' name. Go with that today. If you're here today and you would like prayer for anything, healing, anything else going on in your life, just come down and find me. I'll find somebody to pray for you. If all the people who got baptized could come down and spread across the front, here, we're going to invite anyone who wants to to just come down and uh, be a part of praying for them and blessing them and seeing if God wants to speak to them and just give them an extra blessing even beyond the baptism today. So have a wonderful, wonderful day. Go with God's power and His grace. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.